Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! It is 8 o'clock on Thursday night. Uh, the Seahawks are coming off a huge victory over the Detroit Lions, are heading into a massive game against the Los Angeles Chargers. And uh, we're back. The, the boys are back for the uh, next episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am uh, freshly shorn, um, you know, Movember for all those folks. Uh, go out and get... You know, for the young guys, they don't have to worry about this. Eventually, the older guys are going to have to. Prostate checks, that's what it's about. From what I understand, that's what Movember's about. Is that right? These guys are already embarrassed. See, look at this. This is why they have this Movember, is for these young men to uh, manage to, to not be embarrassed about, you know, making sure they're, 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 uh, they're healthy and around in a few years. Um, uh, so, lots of big things going on. Um, we've got... We've got an election coming up. Encourage everybody to vote if you haven't already. Um, we won't be talking about that, but do want to bring it up. Um, and in just a second, we're going to dial in Eric Williams of uh, the San Diego. Well, he used to do the San Diego Union Tribune and previously of the Tacoma News Tribune and is now VSPN covering the Chargers. Before we do that, let's bring in the fellas. Uh, we've got uh, Evan Hill. Welcome, Evan. How are you doing? I am doing so well. It is so good to be back. I have been counting down the dates for this podcast, and I am excited to be back. We are excited to have you, man. We really are. And uh, and Will, uh, Will Cornell joining us. He's a pinch hitter, real Jeff Simmons. I think he's got like a bachelor party or some kind of thing going on tonight. Um, and uh, really happy to have Will uh, pinch hit and join the crew. How you doing, Will? Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm a pinch. Good, 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 good. Well, um, you know, guys, we're going to talk a lot about the Lions game and how we felt about what happened there, and we'll get into a little bit more about, um, you know, some of the specific things around the Seahawks. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Eric Williams um, of uh, ESPN to talk to us about the Chargers. And believe it or not, um, we're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way by actually dialing someone on the telephone not even a text message. We're gonna we're gonna call him. It's gonna be like uh, old school. Let's see if Eric answers the phone. It's exciting. This is this is gripping. Hello, Eric. Hey, Eric. 
Eric. This is Brian, uh, Real Hawk Talk. How you doing, dude? I'm doing well. How you doing, Brian? Good. It's been a long time. I appreciate you taking the time to join the call. Yeah, no problem, man. Hey, and uh, I want to introduce you to Evan Hill and uh, Will Cornell, who are uh, co-hosts with me on the show tonight. Thanks for coming on, sir. Appreciate What's it. What's up, Will? Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, so, Evan and Will, just double check. You guys are able to hear okay? Absolutely. A little bit, yeah. Cool. All right. I'll make sure and hold it as close as possible to the mic here. But um, uh, Eric, you are uh, covering the Chargers for ESPN. You were covering it with them um, down there in San Diego as well. So you've got a lot of familiarity. And you covered the Seahawks back for the Tacoma News Tribune. Um, so you, you've got a unique perspective in this game. Um, and <laughs> uh, really curious, like, what are the storylines that you're paying attention to as you, you come into this? Um, well, I think a couple of different things. I think, um, you know, if you talk to anybody that, you know, is involved in the game, it kind of comes down to offensive line play, defensive line play, and quarterback play. So I think that's kind of the matchup that you look at first. Um, I think the Seahawks offensive line has improved and they're playing much better. And in years past, they seem to kind of solidify things with Solari coming in there. Uh, so it looks like the change has been good and they've changed personnel. Um, and so they're running the football a little better. So I'm interested to see if they're going to be able to run the football uh, against the Chargers defensively and what that looks like. And then on the flip side, um, I want to see if the Seahawks defensively can get pressure on Phillip Rivers and um, the Chargers offensive line will be playing uh, a little better than they played last year. The addition of Mike Pouncey has helped them open to the pass protection in the run game. Uh, so I'll be looking for line play on both sides and then quarterback play. You know, Rivers, is he going to continue to take care of the football? He only has three interceptions this year. He's done a pretty good job, 17 touchdowns, but he's still been able to make plays. Um, playing in a tough environment, obviously, at the clink. Um, it's going to be loud, um, but he, he's played well there in the past. You know, he was before 55 last time he was there in 2010. Um, and then, I, you know, with Russell, I, I want to see if he continues to, 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 uh, to make plays offensively, finding his targets. Uh, he's done a nice job, you know, with Doug and, and Lockett. Um, I think the addition of that Dixon gives him a playmaker at the tight end position, adds, uh, adds something to the offense there. Um, and just they've been able to have balance because of how well they've been able to run the football. So uh, quarterback play and line play will be two of the things I'll be watching. Interesting. And, and um, a couple things I'm curious about. So uh, everyone's going to be watching the injury report. Um, you know, injuries can have a huge impact in these games. And we already, it sounds like Joey Bosa is, is you know, highly unlikely to play in this game. Um, Melvin Gordon's the other name there that everyone's watching. And he missed the, the game before the bye week uh, in London with a hamstring injury. Uh, I knew yesterday that he was limited. Um, what's he trending toward for this game? Yeah, as you mentioned, Bose is not going to play. He hasn't even practiced, uh, hasn't practiced since week one, and they're going to take their, their time with that. So you won't see Bose on Sunday. Uh, Melvin, you know, is a little bit of a, uh, a question mark. You know, he practiced uh, Wednesday and he practiced on Thursday. We only get to watch the first 20 minutes of practice, so we just saw him in individual drills. But he didn't look totally comfortable. Um, you know, hamstring injuries, um, there's a wide range 
that you're dealing with in terms of whether it's a minor strain or potentially a, a tear. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens on Friday. Usually Friday, though, they're pretty light. They might not even go helmets on Friday. Um, but I'm interested to see what Melvin says on Friday and how confident he feels that he can get out there um, and play. In, in past times where Melvin's been questionable, more times than not, he plays because he's pretty tough and he's able to play, you know, dinged up and still get out there. But with an injury like this, I don't think they want to risk long-term injury just to get him out there on Sunday. Uh, they like Austin Eckler. Obviously, he's a different type of runner, more like a Justin Forsett, but faster, a better inside runner than Melvin is. Uh, and they have some other guys behind Melvin. Um, Justin Jackson out of Northwestern, a rookie they drafted in the seventh round. Um, but not as, as, as explosive as Melvin, as you would expect, as a backup. And then Detrez Newsom is an undrafted guy at Western Carolina that could see some reps if Melvin can't play. So, yeah, I agree. Whether or not Melvin plays will will be a significant um, uh, significant thing to follow this weekend. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a guy that I bet a lot of Seahawks fans have not heard of, second-year running back, and, and uh, I think Austin uh, uh, Eckler. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Um, you know, the guy's averaging, you know, like close to six yards a carry. He seems like he's a threat out of the backfield as a receiver as well. I think he's caught some pretty big passes from, from Rivers. Um, you know, what, what kind of player is he? You know, you mentioned that he's like Justin Forsett, but faster. Um, you know, his numbers look like he could be or the type of player that's, that's kind of like a Alvin Kamara in terms of the types of way he gets used. You know, what do you see from him? What's, what's his, his upside as a player? Um, well, I compare him to Justin because they're, they're about the same size. You know, um, Austin's about 5'7". It lifts him at 200, but he's probably closer to 190, 195 pounds. Uh, he's probably pound for pound the strongest player on the team. You know, the guy that probably stands close to, the, close to 400 pounds. Lots of time. Uh, very elusive in the open field. These guys going to make, you know, people miss. And then once he gets out in the field and gets past the second level, he's a person that can take it to the house because of his his, uh, his speed. Um, played small college ball at, at Western State, Colorado. The small college a guy with an undrafted rookie. They've done a pretty good job of, of finding talented players that are undrafted rookies. Kyra Williams, another guy that's, you know, from the Northwest, played at Western Oregon. Um, I, I think the issue for Austin, though, is I don't think he's a guy that's going to be able to carry 20, 25 times because of his size. They're going to need to, to find another back to kind of mix in there with him. And I think he might see a little bit of Justin if Austin gets the start and Melvin can't go. Got it. And, and uh, I'm curious, like one of the things I've seen when I've been looking at the Chargers and, and some of the, the early season success Philip Rivers is actually under a decent amount of pressure. It seems like the offensive line is struggling a little bit to protect him, especially the guards. But he's got a higher passer rating when under pressure this season than when he's throwing from a clean pocket. Do you have a, an explanation for that? Is he dumping it off to these running backs? Is it like what is it that you think is leading to Rivers being so effective when he's under pressure this year? Well, first of all, he's accurate. He's probably one of the most accurate passers um, in the league. Um, he's decisive. He knows where he wants to go with the football when, when teams do pressure him, so it actually puts him at an advantage. And a lot of times, like you said, he's, he's chucking down. He's getting to the running back right now. And that's um, an advantage for a veteran quarterback 
Um, you know, a lot of times younger guys will wait to get to that check down. Uh, but by getting to that check down quicker, you allow those guys to make plays after the catch because now they're in space and, and the, the linebackers are trailing them. So his ability to get to those check downs early, once he knows the pressure's coming, allows them to create those explosive plays to guys like Eckler and Melvin Gordon or, or to tight ends or slot receivers. Evan, you got a question? Yeah, Eric, I appreciate you coming on. I uh, My question revolves around, um, obviously, the younger big name on the Chargers in the defensive backfield is, is Derwin James. Obviously, he was the first-round pick for the Chargers this year. And as we know, many Seahawks fans were hoping that he would fall to Seattle just because he slid you know, out of the top 10. And many Seahawks fans were hoping that he could be somebody that – could eventually replace Cam. Now, obviously, we know that didn't happen, and he landed out on the Chargers. But my question for you is, number one, how has Derwin James performed this year? And number two, what type of impact can we expect from him on Sunday? Well, in terms of his performance, he's exceeded expectations, which is impressive because expectations were high. Um, you know, like you said, he fell down the draft board. I don't know why. I don't know if it was injury or, or what the concerns were, but the Chargers were happy to get him at 17. Um, you talked about it. He's a great fit in Pete Carroll's system, which is the same system that Gus Bradley is running. Um, he is a physical freak in a, in a league of freaks. So his athleticism is off the charts. To me, he's kind of a combination of Cam and Earl. And I say that because he's 6'2", 215 pounds, so he can come and play in the box as a run defender or a guy that can blitz, and, and he's a thumper. He's a guy that hits you. That said, he also ran like a 4-4-5, I think, at the combine. So he has that, that elite speed that can be a guy that can play in the back and as a free safety and get red line to red line and really come up and run support and give you another defender um, and he's got great instincts as a football player, um, and he gets the football. You know, I think he has like three and a half bags. He gets a lot of hands on balls uh, in terms of pass coverage, and, and when he has a chance to intercept it, unlike most defense bags, he actually catches it. Um, so he has a great hand-eye coordination. He's, he's, he's an impressive player. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll make a Pro Bowl, because I think it's hard for rookies to make the Pro Bowl, because they kind of want to have those guys kind of earn the, the respect, but... Um, with Joey Bosa out, he's probably been their best defensive player, either him or Melvin Ingram. Will, uh, I know you guys have a question for Eric. Hey, Eric, thanks for coming on. Um, as I was taking a look at the Chargers' offensive attack this year, um, I've noticed that it seems to be a little bit more balanced. Um, you know, you think of whenever I think of the Chargers, at least in past years, I think of you know all those you know high passing numbers and that you know mm-hmm. always Philip Rivers kind of leading the show, but it seems like they're running the ball a little bit more um, and seem to be a little bit more balanced in their offense. What do you attribute that to? Uh, Mike Bounty. I just think that they're able to run the ball a little more consistently, particularly on first down. Um, you know, their first down numbers in terms of running the football were down last year. This year, they're one of the top five teams in terms of running the football on first down. And I, I think that's directly attributable to having an athletic center that can get to the second level of defense and, and carve out uh, clear, decisive running lanes for Melvin Gordon. And Melvin Gordon's, uh, you know, a, a year further into the offense, 
so that he has a better understanding of, of where the, the running lanes are going to be, uh, and, and they have a better understanding of what plays work for Melvin. Um, so they, they've really um, emphasized the running game. They want to make it easier for Phillips so he doesn't have to throw it 40 or 50 times a game, but when he does throw it, he can dial up chunk plays, explosive plays, uh, and they've done a nice job of that so far this season. So, Eric, um, you know, one thing that's really jumped out to me, and I'm sure a lot of folks about the Chargers this year, is the receiving core. Um, people know Keenan Allen. Um, you know, he's been a, a player for a while and made, made big plays. But they've added to that group. Um, talk to us a little bit about Mike Williams, about Tyrell Williams, I believe, is another player that's been stepping up. Um, how's that receiving core looking, and how do you think that, that group matches up against the Seahawks secondary? Yeah, you know, I, I think when you look at their receivers one through four, I think they're a top five receiving group in the NFL. You know, Keenan is probably a top ten receiver in the league, even though he only has one touchdown so far. Uh, defenses have to account for where he's at, and he's good at, you know, working from the slot or he can work out on the perimeter. Uh, does a great job off the line of, of creating separation and, and getting off press coverage. But really, he's like a big receiver at 6'2", 210 pounds, but he moves like Doug Ball, he moves like a small receiver. Uh, he's a guy that played running back in high school, um, was a, a good basketball player in high school, so he has that short area of quickness. And then on the outside, you just have two, you know, two six three, six four guys that can go get it. Um, Tyrell Williams is, is more of a speed guy, vertical threat. Um, I think he's averaging 21 yards per catch. Um, he's had two big games the last couple weeks and kind of been their big play guy. But Mike Williams is, is coming on as well. Obviously struggled his rookie year, had back and knee injuries, so it took him a while to get acclimated in the offense and really to develop a rapport with Phillips. He was able to do that this offseason, and I think the Chargers are seeing the results of that. Um, Mike has four touchdowns, and, and then another guy, uh, a big body receiver that can go up and get it. You know, Phillip has had a lot of these guys in the past, whether it's been Vincent Jackson or Malcolm Floyd. Um, they've always seen it, been able to get big, tall, rangy guys that can make plays down the field. Along with that, you know, they still have Travis Benjamin, probably the fastest receiver in that group. He's been dinged up a little bit, but he'll probably lose day. And they like to run him on that jet sweep action, too, to, to, to um, stretch teams horizontally. Um, so with those four guys, it gives you a lot of different things you can do to defenses. You know, sometimes they're the primary, sometimes they're the decoy. Um, and they do a good job of kind of playing off each other. And they also will block in the run game, which sometimes your receivers don't want to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and I think one of the questions that uh, a lot of folks have, especially on the Seattle side, um, is, you know, the the Chargers come in here five and two, um, and their two losses are to two of the best better teams in the NFL, but their five wins are against some of the weakest teams in the NFL. So, you know, what's your take on like how good is this team? Is this a is this a legitimate Super Bowl contending team? Is this a team that still has got a lot to prove before you're ready to say that? Where do you, where do you kind of place them in the in the NFL right now? Well, I, I think you said it, Brian. I think, you know, when you look at their wins, they don't really have an impressive win. I think Cleveland's probably better than people are giving them credit when you look at um, their defensive line and, and their offensive line and some of their playmakers on offense. But, again, you know, 
starting with this game in Seattle. It'll be a tough game on the road. Um, they have two weeks to prepare for it, um, so I think that helps them. Uh, after Seattle, um, I think they go to Oakland, and then they host the Broncos and the Cardinals, so those are three easier games. And then the next game where they really will be tested is uh, December 2nd. They go to Pittsburgh and face the Steelers. Um, so the back half of their season, they'll really find out you know, whether or not they're truly a team that uh, are Super Bowl contenders. But they certainly believe that they have the pieces in place to, to compete. Once they get Joey Bosa back on that defense, I think that defense will be pretty solid and go with, with their offense, and they'll be formidable. But again, they have to beat some teams that are going to be in the running for the playoffs for, for the Chargers to be considered, I think, a team that can contend for the Super Bowl. Well, and last question I've got for you before I let you go is is uh, flip it around. I don't know if you've had a chance to to watch much of the Seahawks. I know your focus is on the Chargers, mm-hmm. but you know, given what you've seen when you saw you covered the Seahawks in the past during the Pete Carroll era and where they are now, what do you see from the Seahawks? Like, what what's what's your kind of quote unquote outsider insider view um, of, of the team? Yeah, I'm just watching them, and you know, I've watched bits and pieces. I, I watched them play the entire game against the Lions. It reminds me a lot of the the team in 2010. I think that went seven and nine and kind of snuck in the the, the playoffs. It's, it's a team that's you know they don't want to say it, but they're rebuilding. I mean, that's, they're getting rid of a, a lot of their you know uh, cornerstone players, and they're keeping the ones that they want to build around. You know, KJ and um, and Bobby defensively. Uh, offensively, obviously, Russell. Um, they draft Penny in the first round. Obviously, he hasn't played a whole lot, but just having Penny in there, I think, has kind of created competition. So at least now you have a consistent running game, which is what people want. Um, they've done a pretty good job of taking care of the football. And I just think defensively, they look like the Seahawks are supposed to look on defense. You see all 11 guys running the football. Uh, they're, they're tackling pretty well in space. They're not giving up a lot of big plays. And, uh, and they're creating consistent pass rush, which has is, is always been kind of one of the, the, the key things that Pete has focused on. So um, I just think they're kind of, you know, back to where they were when Pete first got there and started building that roster. It's probably going to take a couple years for them to, to be back into Super Bowl contention, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if they sneak into the playoffs just because they have one of the better quarterbacks in the game in Russell. Awesome. Well, Eric, it, it sounds like, is it fair that, that you, you like the Chargers' chances in this game? Yeah, I, I just think two weeks to prepare for a team is a big deal, even though you're going on the road against a good team, playing in a hostile environment. Um, I mean, these guys play at the Center, which really isn't a home venue anyway, so they're, they're pretty much playing in a hostile environment, whether they're at home or on the road. So they're going to be used to that. That's not going to affect them maybe as much as it would other teams. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the Chargers. I think I think this game means more to them than it does to Seattle, to be honest, where Seattle sits at 4-4. At four four. They, can, they can lose a game and still get back into it, still get the playoffs. For the Chargers to go where they want to go, they need to prove that they can win games like this. So I think – they will play with an urgency. And so um, I think I picked them to win 28-24. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, I think Seattle's going to have to score with the Chargers in order to win, which they certainly can do. You know, we've seen Russell make plays in the past and um, be able to put points on the board. So 
runs it. But um, I just feel like the Chargers are are the team that to them that maybe does the Seahawks. Awesome. Well, Eric, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, folks uh, should check you out um, at Eric underscore D underscore Williams on Twitter and uh, at ESPN. Writes great stuff. And uh, Eric, thanks again for coming aboard. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. And enjoy the game on Sunday. All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so that's Eric and my call waiting um, for everyone who uh, didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, see, dude. Not everybody has good cell reception at their house. And so, you know, when you, you get free home phone, you just take it, dude. You, you guys think that's funny? <laughs> I don't think I've had a home phone in a decade. Yeah. That's all right. It's all right. Like, it's impressive have, technology. Wait till you have an important call to make and, and then get back to me. You have to you know, dial actually, before you, you call. know how I know that's an excuse? Because I've been to your house, Brian, and I have good cell reception at your house. Oh, really? Yes. What do you, well, this is, an, this is a conversation we'll have to have on Sunday, but, but uh, this, is, this is not where people tune in. But, guys, uh, Eric's great. I mean, um, good guy, smart guy, pays good attention to the, the game. I think he is really wrong about a lot of things really great related to the Seahawks, and I think that doesn't mean that Eric's not good at what he does. It focuses the Chargers. I think that's a sign of where the Seahawks are nationally still. I think everybody – sees what's left. They have not yet acclimated to who's there. Anybody that watched that Lions game and walked away thinking, this looks like the 2010 Matt Hasselback, you know, Colin Cole, uh, Mike Williams, uh, you know, you know, Ruvel Martin, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Like, I don't know. Like that, that seemed off to me. How about you guys? Will you take it? I think the thing that uh, had me most by surprise was that he said that this was a bigger game for the Chargers than it was the Seahawks. Um, That kind of shocked me at first, but then I realized that they're kind of in a race in that AFC West with the Chiefs. I mean, they're only two games back, so it is pretty big for them too. But I don't know. At least from a Seahawks perspective, going to this next four games, this one just seems so huge for the Seahawks. I think the Chargers are pretenders. I really do. I, I'm pulling up their record, their schedule right now. I, I have a hard, you know, they're pretenders. I don't, I don't believe them. I don't believe them. We can beat Philip Rivers in Seattle. I, I, I think, I think if this game is even played in Los Angeles, I think we win this game, especially with Joey Bosa out. I just, <sighs> Antonio Gates. Remember when we got sliced and diced by uh, Philip Rivers and Antonio Gates like two or three years ago? They had like three touchdowns against us or something like that. I, I, I just don't think they're at that form anymore. I just I, – I don't think this is a game we lose. I really don't. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I was going going through, you know, what they've done so far this year, and they kind of reek of an average team. I don't – by no means are they bad. I don't know if they're great either, and they've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat and lost pretty bad to the teams they're supposed to lose to. So, I don't know. I think it's a winnable game. Oh, of course it's winnable. I mean, let's 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 uh let's keep this in in reality. I mean the Seahawks the Seahawks are playing the best football they've played in three years. Hands down. I mean there's no debate. I don't think there's a you could say that there was a game that they played well against New England in two thousand sixteen or, you know, against Philadelphia last year or, you know, things of that nature. And those are all true. But 
The Seahawks are playing a, a brand of football that travels wherever it is. And guess what, guys? You know how many games they played at home? They played two games at home the entire year. We have yet to see Jacob Martin rush off the edge with an advantage of an extra step on the offensive line. We've seen him play two games. They've both been on the road, and he's made an impact in both those games. He's been one of the quiet players that's made an impact. We've seen a pass rush start to actually look like it has a potential. Those are both on the road. Those were not at home. We know what that does in general um, playing at, at, at uh, CenturyLink. Um, the Seahawks have not played at home since Paul Allen passed away. Oh. Like, you telling me that that's not going to be something that happens as part of pregame and getting people oh. ramped up? We have not played at home since the Seahawks were good. Remember the last time they played at home – they played the Rams. Evan, you and I were there. I am convinced that part of the reason that it was lit at the stadium is because everybody that's a season ticket holder that's, you know, kind of came on with the rush of the successful team, everyone was selling. Everyone was giving away their tickets because everyone thought the Rams are going to blow us out again. And you know what's happened is now people are starting to believe again. So, yeah, Will's pointing to himself. So, so I think there is every reason to believe that the Seahawks should win this game, that in no way to me, I, I don't think the Chargers are pretenders, guys. I think that's I think that's that's selling them short. Um, Phillip Rivers is incredibly good. Um, he's leading the NFL in passer rating. His wide receiver crew is ridiculous. Um, his running back crew is ridiculous. His tight end crew is pretty darn good too. So um, they've got legit players. Melvin Ingram's a great pass rusher. Derwin James is a great safety. So. You know, um, I respect them, but but yeah, hell yeah, they should win this game. Brian, question for you then, Brian, going back to your point um, when Eric got off the phone about um, the national narrative kind of being that the Seahawks were kind of just still in that mediocre phase. If they blew out, let's say they blew out the Chargers this Sunday. Let's say that we win by more than 14 points. Do you think that would be enough to change the narrative on the Seahawks on nationally? If the Seahawks were to blow out the Chargers by more than 14 points, would it change the narrative? Um, no, I, I don't. I don't. I think. I think we are. I think we are a few games away from that. I think when the Seahawks go into LA and beat the Rams in, uh, next week, then I think you're going to start talking about people changing the the narrative. They'll at least start paying attention. But look. Seahawks are always the team. Like people have made up their minds about what the narrative is for the Seahawks and people don't like to be wrong. So they're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting and good. Like I, I, you know, I am as bullish now on the Seahawks and how they're approaching the game and how they're playing as I was bearish on them after week two, um, after they played the bears. We guys, we have. I don't. I don't think we recognize the importance of this feeling. We have not had this feeling in a long, long time where we know the Seahawks are good, and we can say that the Seahawks are a good football team. Okay, they may not have big names on offense or defense, but they are a good football team, and we are the underdogs. Something we have not had in years when the you know the lob russell wilson established their dominance after the super bowl we were not underdogs anymore you know we we were you know among the patriots crowd that's what the narrative mainstream media viewed us as but that has changed we're underdogs now look look what eric just said he thinks the chargers are going to come into seattle and beat us 
That's not happening on Sunday. We're a good football team. We're an underrated football team, and I love being in that position. How do you feel about um, uh, Troy Aikman, Evan? Oh, oh, actually, yes. We have to talk about <laughs> Troy Aikman's bullshit, egregious, ridiculous, disgusting, repulsive comments tonight. Troy Aikman should be fired after tonight's broadcast. That was disgusting. If for, the, for those of you who are not listening to what Troy Aikman said, Troy Aikman said that Tom Cable was given no resources you know, to work with on the offensive line when, it, when he, you know, in his time in Seattle. Now, we all know, all the viewers of the Hot Blogger podcast know that Brian Nemhauser is a Tom Cable sympathizer, and I will not give Brian room to dispute that, but he is a sympathizer compared to me, Nathan, and every other logical Seahawks fan in the world. But let, let me just quickly dispel this notion. Tom Cable was given resources in Seattle. He was given high draft picks in Seattle. He was not working with only seventh round picks. Bullshit. He was given high round draft selections. I, could, I, don't, I don't have Twitter on me right now, so I can't pull it up. But I think it was Nathan Ernst, who, um, you know, loyal member of the pod, who tweeted something that, um, going back from like 2011 to 2017, Tom Cable era, whatever, they, the Seahawks spent more and higher valuable draft picks than the Dallas Cowboys. Than the Dallas Cowboys on the offensive line. There is only one reason a speak of the devil, Nathan, is here. Hey, I'm hey, on my Tom hey. Cable rant, and I am not stopping. Tom Cable was given resources here. There is no excuses for his bullshit tenure here. He was kept around here too long, and he is the sole reason we didn't win another Super Bowl. Tom Cable ruined my childhood. I hate him. And rant. Clearly, I'm not needed here. I, I can just jump back <laughs> off. I, you guys got this under control, it looks like. <laughs> I think it's time to end the pod. I'm exhausted. Uh, <laughs> you know, like part of me just wants to get into it with you because it would be fun and because you're wrong on a few levels, like pretty clearly. But, but I don't really care enough to do that. There's so many things I'd rather talk about. I, I mean, I'm not wrong about anything I said. Tom Cable, <laughs> Tom Cable is bad. He is. Tom Cable's the reason that they threw at the one yard line, and 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 Malcolm Butler intercepted. That's the reason. Okay. Whoa. Uh, whoa, whoa. Hold up. So they <laughs> they were notoriously bad on like short yardage situations forever because Tom Cable was a terrible oh, offensive line coach. Dude, that is a huge reach. It's not that big of a reach. Also, oh, with Mike Solari, they would have been up like 21 points at that point in the game and it would have never came to that point. So That's why My backup has arrived! Let's go! <laughs> you need a jury. This is why the justice system is based on a jury of, of independent jurors that are not biased because God You have a jury of 12 right, of 12 right here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, Evan, you, you keep on keeping on about that. I 100% agree with the, the bulk of what you're saying that Aikman, I didn't hear, but I read that he said that, that Tom Cable was given seventh round draft choices that he had that were uh, defensive linemen that he had to convert when we all know that Tom Cable was the one actually making those choices. So, yes. That's the Tom Cable moment for the, the pod. 
let's move on. And and, and we started talking. We, we started with Eric. We started talking about the Chargers. We'll get back to the game, I'm sure. But let's rewind a little bit, guys. I mean, uh, that game against the Lions was. Um, I'll I'll just start by saying, you know, Will and Evan, you know, you we were all there together. I was pretty nervous heading into that game. I certainly did not expect the Seahawks to win comfortably. In fact, I thought it was a, a toss-up game, and I absolutely – I started that game with the belief that the Seahawks' defense is not that good, that, that they are pretenders, and thought that the Lions were going to score a lot of points in that game. We'll get to what I was wrong later, but um, that didn't turn out to be true for that game. So, um, Nathan, since you're new joining – tonight um what was what was your impression how did your expectations or impression of the seahawks change um after watching that game or did they at all i'll i'll actually speak on this just because i have some points to be made i i want to dispute the notion that the lions are not a good football team I saw this on twitter this week that for some reason because the seahawks went into detroit and won by a ton of points that it, the win doesn't really matter because the Lions weren't really good anyway. Bullshit. Bullshit. Let me tell let me tell you what happened on September 23rd. The Lions whooped whooped the Patriots asses. The New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. The Lions beat the Patriots. Let's let's fast forward a couple weeks. October 7th, the Lions in Detroit beat the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, that bad, bad man that is probably the best quarterback in the NFL. Sorry, Sam Hawk Badger, but it's probably true. In Google 31 BB, you're also wrong. Aaron Rodgers is definitely better than Matt Ryan. The Lions beat both of those teams. The Seahawks went in there and won by a ton of points, okay? And they should have won by an even additional seven points because the last play was bullshit and Tate fumbled and it should have been a touchdown. So the Seahawks walking into Detroit is nothing to skip around on. That was an impressive win on all phases of, of the ball. We're talking defense lights out. Obviously, they gave up you know one of the first touchdowns in the game, but they rebounded. They played well. Trey Flowers is playing well. Bradley McDougal is playing well. Um, you know, we we got defensive line pressure. Like there are some things going well for us. Things that would lead you to believe that this team is actually a good football team. Offense, I don't even need to speak to them. They're ballers. Brian Schottenheimer has a high-tech offense. Suck it, bitches. That's inappropriate. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's high-tech. <laughs> Will, how about you? Where where were you? Uh, you know, you, How did your expectations change after watching that game? I would say they were just slightly raised. I, I really – and you know, you guys know you're with me. I, I went into this game thinking we were going to – win pretty easily um uh, to go off what evan was saying i they're definitely not a bad team i I don't think the lions are a great team either that you take a look at their record and take a look at their schedule they're wildly inconsistent and i just thought that the seahawks would take advantage of that coming off a a total dominant win against oakland and um you know i rode with that and you know things turned out for the best do you want to introduce your guest oh this is uh the lovely kelsey back here yeah, you're being introduced to the vlog. Kelsey, would you like to say hello? Hi. <laughs> future future wife, right? Right, Will? Well, I, I guess now. When, when's it wow, happening? Did, well, did you just did you just like out <laughs> him? Like, does Kelsey know this? 
Um, also, also, know. also a major a, a diehard Seahawks fan. Also, so we're we're in good company here. I okay. just put an unreasonable amount of pressure on Will, so I'm sorry. <laughs> a little <laughs> uncool. Um, <laughs> interesting. Like it's interesting. Like Will, you definitely were. You believed that this was going to be the game that we we got. Um, I definitely did not. Um, and as much as I. I love that you saw it. Um, I also believe that, that there was an, they accomplished something in this game um, that, that maybe is getting lost there. Like, uh, even when the Seahawks were great in the 2013, 2012, 2014 kind of time frame, um, there weren't a lot of times that they went on the road and went up 28-7 on anybody. That was not what happened. I mean... They went in, Matt Schaub was like destroying the, was destroying the Seahawks in the first half in Houston. Um, it took a miracle for them to come back. They would go on the road and lose to the Rams in St. Louis with five people in the stands. Um, so they've lost when they were extremely good. They lost to some really bad teams on the road. And they just controlled that game almost from the opening tip. And, um, well, I guess I was watching basketball, the opening kickoff. So, um, damn blazers. Yeah. 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 They got, they got lucky tonight with Anthony Davis out. We'll see if they can win. Um, but yeah, I, I look, I, I think that the, between this, the offense and the defense, it was a tough call, which was more impressive. Like I think the offense for me, really made the the game possible by keeping it away from Phillip Rivers. They had a season high, like 35 minutes of possession. They ran the ball. They passed the ball, like perfect passing game. But the defense also, they slowed down um, uh, Matthew Stafford, I should say. Um, and and uh, they completely bottled up on Johnson. So, you know, they forced the Lions to trade Golden Tate. So, uh, yeah, I, I – I was super impressed. Um, I'm curious, Evan, was there was there a specific player that got you most excited um, from that game? Uh, David Moore. David Moore is really, really somebody. I, I know we're talking about him, but we need to be talking about him more. Um, seventh round draft pick, you know, from uh, 2017. Chris Carson and David Moore in the same round. John Schneider on the hot seat. Are you kidding me? That's an impressive. You don't you don't hit on seventh rounders, but to hit on two players like that, um, maybe it's a little early on David Moore, but I, I can I think we can confidently say Chris Carson's a uh, a hit in that in that round. But David Moore is somebody who uh, actually I completely agree with you, Brian. That first catch he made in the game where he strong handed the ball and just it was like down the left sideline. I think it was by the Lions sideline and just like. Yeah. It sounds so weird, but to, <clears throat> he has strong arms, and that was really cool to see him just like manhandle it, hold it up high, turn, get the first down. Um, I'm, I'm so glad he took Brandon Marshall snaps. Nothing against Brandon Marshall. He's a little old. I don't think he uh, was contributing super well to the team, but um, I think you know there was some hype about David Moore coming into this year. Pete Carroll had talked about him, you know, making that second year jump and. And Russ seems to have a connection with him. He also had him on the touchdown, the little uh, juggle ball that he had. He had, the, had him on the deep um, crossing route. 
David Moore is somebody who suddenly makes this wide receiver group pretty good. So you've got Tyler Lockett who's balling this year and showing that that contract was obviously a good extension at this rate. David Moore is a good number three receiver. And, you know, assuming that Baldwin gets healthy again, that's a good wide receiver group. We were really worried about them coming into the year. That's a solid group in my mind. Yeah, so Will, you know, I got more than a little bit of crap for my take on David Moore before last week's game in the pod. And I talked about the fact that I don't think he I don't think we've seen a ceiling yet. I don't think we really know. And that for me, I think he can be one of the best players at his position in the NFL. Um and I'm curious. Uh you know, what's your take on David Moore so far into this season? Um, you know, and, and what do you expect from him the rest of this year? Well, I'm not quite there yet with you, Brian. Um, one of the best players at his position in the league is – that's a tall order. Um, but he's certainly going in that direction um, at a rate which I think we're all satisfied with. I don't know. I I kind of see him being second to Lockett. I know it's, like, not that, like, outlandish of a take, but – I don't know. I think he could be that guy. I mean, I don't know if he's going to put up a thousand, but I'd see him maybe this year. I don't know. I'd be I'd be totally satisfied if he gets in the seven hundred ish range. I don't know much about you know where he would be at with touchdowns, but if you can get seven hundred yards ish from seventh round pick, I don't know. That's that's a hit. Would you guys? Would either of you guys be shocked if David Moore has a game where he goes seven catches and one hundred seventy yards and a couple touchdowns? At this no, point? no, he's explosive. He's like, he, that's who he is. He's an insanely athletic player. I think, I really think his sky, you know, he has a limited potential. I, I, I really believe that. Um, if anybody here plays fantasy football, I don't know if either of you play fantasy football. I dumped the remaining of my free agent auction budget on David Moore. That's how absolutely convinced I am that David Moore is going to be good. I slid him right into that starting lineup. Think about this. The Seahawks passed the ball 17 times last game. 17, like barely passed the ball. He got four of those targets. He caught all four of those targets. In those four targets, he had nearly 100 yards. He had 97 yards receiving and a touchdown. So for me, the idea he's, he's averaging 20 yards a catch at this point. Um, he is making contested catches where people are draped all over him. He is making catches where he is running by guys because he's running good routes or because he's faster than them. Um, we have not yet seen David Moore in a situation where someone's been able to shut him down or someone's been able to out, um, outmaneuver him for a ball. So I think he's on the ascendancy. I think we're talking about a guy that, you know, God forbid he gets 10 targets in a game. Um, you know, I think this guy can easily be a guy that's, you know, 70, 75% catch rate and, can average 18 plus yards a catch and is going to be a high touchdown rate kind of guy. Cause John Schneider was talking about it earlier this week. Actually, I think it was it's Pete Carroll. We haven't even seen his run after catch yet. Mm. And guys, I'm telling you when he gets the ball and there's any space, he's a load to bring down. He is, he is shifty. We saw it on a punt return earlier this year in preseason. He, he's just got, he's got a lot. He's got a lot and people have not seen it all yet. Um, and what we have seen pretty freaking good so uh, you know i i think i think he's going to be a key to how good the seahawks can be over the second half of the season and i am really optimistic on what that can so uh you know i don't know if you guys have a compare for for david moore 
I went through my mind and I was trying to think of the most athletic, you know, most talented um, athletes at the wide receiver position for the Seahawks. Sidney Rice came to mind. The only guy that really comes close for me is well before your, your time, but it's Joey Galloway. Um, that's the only guy. Now, Joey Galloway was a freak athlete, I think even more so than Moore. But I don't think it's 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 outlandish to say that Moore is maybe the second best athlete the Seahawks have had at wide receiver, um, you know, in the last 20 years. Um, you, know, you, you, you could talk about Golden Tate maybe, but I would put him – I'd put him as above Golden. Um, as an athlete. I think looking in hindsight, I am so glad the Seahawks did not dump $40 million in Paul Richardson. I, I am so impressed with the franchise's moves in terms of wide receiver this offseason. I, I think we were all, I mean, a lot of fans were really skeptical of what they were doing with the group, you know, giving Lockett $10.6 million a year, hoping that David Moore would jump into that role, obviously signing Brandon Marshall, but he was paid peanuts, so really no, you know, no issues there. Um, but I think in hindsight, it worked out well. Well, and let's talk for a second about the other seventh rounder there. You started talking about Chris Carson. Yeah. Carson had another 100-yard game. Um, he got 25 carries. And and uh, there were no carries for Rashad Penny, which is something I was I was kind of bracing for that he was going to get more carries again in this game. Will, what was your what was your take on on both how Carson looked? And what you see is, as you know, what the future is for Rashad Penny. Well, first off, I loved Carson's performance. I want to just keep giving it to him. I mean, you saw, you know, as the week progressed, what the guy can do uh, when the blocking breaks down. The guy's able to create space on his own. I mean, I mean, I don't know, we we talked all off season. I, I know I did about drafting a running back, and I always said uh, with how this offensive line is, uh, I want a guy that can create space without totally relying too much on his offensive line, you know, cough, cough, Sean Alexander. Um, but Carson's a guy that can do it, you know, on his own. And I think you saw that, um, you know, as the week has gone by. Um, what it means for Rashad Penny, I I don't know. But I, my gut feeling says that it's grim. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you're, you know, I don't feel good about any sort of, you know, carry that Penny takes away from Carson at this point. And uh, I don't think anyone should. Do we have a Rashad Penny problem? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Tell me more. I'm really worried about him. I mean, I'm I'm worried that Mike Davis is even getting snaps over Rashad Penny. And this is I I'm very I mean, obviously this has been a problem since like the day they drafted him and me getting his jersey was a completely ridiculous thing to do and very irrational and dumb. But we have a Rashad Penny problem. Your first round pick is not playing offensive snaps. That's a problem. Yeah, well, look, guys. Um, and actually, you know what? Let me follow up point. He was good on special teams in college. He hasn't done anything for us. I mean, I'm not even seeing like, remember when Lockett was a rookie and we saw some really cool stuff from him in the return game? Like he was. He was shifty. He had that burst. He got around the corner, and he was gone. I think, like, in one of the first preseason games, Lockett had a uh, return for a touchdown off a, off a kickoff um, against the Bears, I think it was. Um, we just haven't seen any explosiveness from Penny, even in the special teams game, where, like, he excelled really well in college, and those are, like, the only snaps he's getting right now. So kind of very concerned about that. <laughs> 
Well, I, I uh, asked a very unpopular question on Twitter a few weeks ago, which is if if someone offered you a fourth round pick for Rashad Penny right now. Oh, stop it, Brian. I'm asking you. I am not giving Rashad Penny away for a fourth round pick after eight games. Okay, I'm going on record right now that you are going to regret that point of view. You are going to beg for a fourth round pick in exchange for Rashad Penny before it's all said and done. I hope you're wrong, obviously. I hope I am begging to be wrong. I love being wrong about players like that. But I I don't see it. He's he, Everyone's like, give him a chance. Dude's gotten way more chances than he's deserved. He has not earned these chances so far. He didn't earn them in preseason. He didn't earn them in practice. In practice, it was, he's a Sean Alexander type player. Wait till you see him in a preseason game. In the preseason games, it was like, ah, he's not, he's hurt. Give him a chance in the regular season. He got snaps in the regular season. And it was like, oh, did you see how he, he, he made that cut and he made that one guy miss? There's promise there. He's making guys, he's breaking tackles. And guys, like he's been getting chances and he's, he's okay. I think he's an okay player. I think he's a fine backup back, but there is, has been zero about Rashad Penny that has looked special. He has not looked faster than the average running back. He has not looked shiftier than the average running back. He has not looked stronger than the average running back. So if you have nothing that is elite about your skill set as a running back, and guess what? Running backs don't need time to make an impact. Running backs and linebackers in particular, they come into the league and either they're great or they're not. And that's how it is. Tell me about a running back that got good his third year in the seat in the in the in the league. Well, Melvin Gordon is an example. I know me and Evan talked about that. Well, yeah, that's not actually that's not a bad example. Um, I just think it's more often not that that occurs. So, let's go back and take a look real quick since we're even playing Melvin this this year. Um, so. He went from having from three and a half yards a carry and 641 yards his rookie year to 3.9 yards a carry his next two years. Um, he got a lot more carries, um, and he scored a bunch of touchdowns, so there's that. Um, from a receiving standpoint, he got a lot more targets. Um, I don't know. Like, did he get better, or did he just get more more opportunities? I mean, statistically, from an efficiency standpoint, I'm not sure he got that much better. I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of that. He got a little lucky with touchdowns too. I think I think people may be overinflating how Melvin Gordon is, how good he is with his fantasy football performances. And I know that's weird to bring up, but like. I, he's not great. He's good though. I, I I think his touchdown performances have been mostly based on opportunity and volume, and I, I and like you well, said, the yards per carry thing is an issue. Let me let me let me give him to you. Like let, let's just say I'm wrong, and he did get significantly better his second year. Name another. Name a second. Like it's just it's not the common. It, it is the exception to the rule um, that a running back gets better as they get more time in the league. Um, running backs are pure athletes. They are asked to run and make make a, 
you know, make cuts and, and, and they just, they do that right away or they don't. So I don't know. I, of course I will be happy to be wrong. I'm not holding out a lot of hope and look when JD McKissick gets healthy in a few weeks, they're going to have a tough decision to make on what they do. They're going to cut CJ Procise. Are they going to play McKissick over Penny if they need to? I could argue McKissick might deserve some snaps over Mike Davis. Like McKissick's an impact player. He's a playmaker. He can do things that neither Penny nor Davis can do as a receiver out of the backfield. So I think there's going to be an interesting choice to make there. What do either of you guys have, you know, are you, are you hoping for McKissick to come back? Are you uh, hoping for him to get snaps or you guys think that's kind of a, you know, not a big part of the, the rest of the season? He's kind of a fun weapon. Like he, he's obviously like that dual threat. Who, he's who's also a receiver out of the backfield. I think McKissick is low key pretty fun. Um, I, th- I think he's a great depth player, especially in that group. Um, he's not a guy you're gonna play every down, of course. I think he's somebody you sporadically throw in for fun plays, especially out of the backfield, just with his receiving abilities. I think he absolutely. I mean, he should be. At this point, I would say he should. He hasn't even played a snap this year, but based on his last year, I think he should be taking snaps over Rashad Penny, and I don't think that's close. The the, the bigger question I have for both of you is, is is Michael Dixon tougher than Jimmy Graham after what we saw at the end of the uh, the Lions game? Yeah, I would trust Michael Dixon's blocking skills over Jimmy Graham's blocking skills. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and by that one hundred percent. Yeah, he just lowered his helmet and like did not shy away from contact. Tried to fight, really fight for it. When did you ever see that with Jimmy Graham? At any time, did not unless there was a really small guy, and usually the small defender would still hit him harder than than Graham would hit. You know what I appreciate about this podcast, boys? We have a weekly Jimmy Graham hate segment, and I, I just want you to know I really appreciate that. Yeah, 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 me too. You asked an interesting question on Twitter to the Packers fans about how they're feeling about Jimmy Graham. I saw a couple of responses. What did you hear? Uh, it was actually scary similar to what Seahawks fans felt. Um, and honestly, in a way, that actually made me feel better because I had concerns, obviously, about utilization and, you know, was our offense really catering to his skill sets and stuff like that, but – the the feedback from Packers fans to to my tweet was very scary similar. It was, you know, they're not using him as a receiver like they should be. He's not a good blocker, and they're putting him in blocking situations. He shies away from contact. These are all things Seahawks fans said, and I think Seahawks players and coaches were frustrated with. So I think, you know, I, I put out some pictures that, or I, I tweeted some stuff that he's the highest paid tight end in the NFL. And right now, out of all tight ends with at least seven receptions through um, the 2018 season, he's like 26 out of 30 in catch rate percentage. Jimmy Graham, not only from a volume perspective, is having a bad season, he's having a bad efficiency season. He's not catching footballs. He's not a reliable pass catcher for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's it's... I have to admit it. I'm a little surprised. I know all Jimmy Graham's flaws, but I thought that he would he would actually in a an offense with a, a higher volume pass offense, um, he would get the ball more often and have a good year. Um, I was prepared for that, and he he just he hasn't. Um, let's bring it back to Seahawks though. So, uh, 
as we look at this game, um, you know, the Seahawks, uh, Seahawks defense is going to have a tall order against the Chargers, right? Um, I'm curious, what are you guys looking at um, on the Seahawks side of the ball? Who are you looking at? Do you feel like has to play a good game for this for the for the Seahawks to slow down that that Chargers offense? I'm going to go with Bobby Wagner on this one. Um, I think they're going to have to stop Philip Rivers. I mean, I know it's like the obvious, not the obvious perspective, but. I don't know. They run a lot of shallow routes. I think the linebackers are going to be huge in this game. You know who's going to have to play super well is Kendrick Thompson. I, I firmly believe that. Bradley McDougal is somebody who's been playing really well. I believe we can count on him. Um, but Phillip Rivers, man, he is a good underrated quarterback, and he is absolutely surgical. Um, he's got some weapons, too. I, I'm a big fan of Mike Williams, their uh, second-year receiver. Um, he's played pretty well this year. He's been a touchdown um, playmaker for them. Uh, I, I think Tedrick Thompson is going to have to play a good game to um, compete with Philip Rivers because uh, this is this is going to sound crazy, but I almost think like Philip Rivers. I don't want to say this because I'm going to get flamed on Twitter, but he's kind he's almost like Aaron Rodgers level when it comes to like the fourth quarter. It's Philip Rivers scares the hell out of me in the fourth quarter with the surgical comebacks. So, Tedder Thompson's going to have played. I think that's a good call. I, actually, I think this is going to be – Tedder Thompson got uh, – had some trouble in the preseason last year against the the Chargers. And I know uh, Matty Brown over on field goals uh, has a different opinion on this, and I respect his breakdown of the play. But uh, Travis Benjamin got way behind Tedrick Thompson – um, and uh, that was an issue. We saw Tedrick get beat in this Lions game. Um, we also saw Tedrick redeem himself with a big hit and and forced fumble that I thought was a turning point in that Lions game in, in the kickoff. Um, I think the building on the Tedrick piece, our two corners, man, they are going to get tested. The outside corners are going to get tested. And, you know, right now, teams continue for some reason to attack Trey Flowers vertically. That's not going to work. Like the guys figured he's long. He is fast. He will be able to stay on top of those plays. So I don't think that going vertically over, over um, Trey flowers is going to be the way to beat him. But you know, if the chargers start mixing in some uh, horizontal patterns some crossing patterns, some slants, things like that, he's going to be challenged in this game. And I think um, Shaquille Griffin he had he got lost in coverage a couple times last week. I, you know, I continue to say he is not playing as well this year as he did last year. I do not think he's playing as well. He's going to get tested a lot. Rivers will find whoever he wants to try to target, um, and he will just relentlessly go after that person. So um, th- that young secondary, this is is it is it too much to say this is their biggest test so far this season? No, no, it's not. Philip Rivers is really, really good. Really good. An underrated quarterback. And you know what? It's not just this week. It's the next three, four weeks. Got Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff. Um, who's the other big team that we're playing? Um, Aaron Rodgers. What was that? Carolina. Oh, yeah. Cam Newton. Um, different type of quarterback, obviously. Um, but, yeah, the secondary is going to be tested over the next few weeks. That's for sure. So I have to correct myself. Obviously, the Rams are the biggest test. 
you know, that was that's as probably as tough of a passing offense as you're going to see. But uh, Rivers is a better quarterback than Goff, as far as I'm concerned. Um, People are acting like Jared Goff is like amazing. I don't think I'm sold on him yet. People are like, oh, Jared Goff is a top five quarterback now. Stop it. Stop it. This is the Sean McVay system, which is a good system, but I could I could probably throw for 400 yards in Sean McVay's system. I mean, receivers are wide open. Sorry, that's my little take. So uh, we have not done our what we got wrong segment. Um, I think it's time to do that as we, we start nearing the, the latter half of uh, uh, our uh, pod for the night. So, Will, I'm going to give you honors here. Um, tell us, tell us something that, that you got wrong either, um, about this game last week, um, that, that's been proven wrong, that you got wrong about the Seahawks over the course of the season or, uh, something else across the NFL that you've gotten wrong. Well, I wasn't wrong about much in that Lions game, fortunately, but, uh, God, I was, I was dead wrong about Tyler Lockett and it hurts my soul. I was so wrong about him when, when he was signed, I've just always kind of thought that Tyler Lockett was just a guy. I know, like, uh, <laughs> I'm eating my words right now, but he's killed me, and I'm happy he has. I was so effing wrong about Tyler Lockett, and I'm happy I was. Curious, just to follow there. So were you wrong? Like, did you think he was just a guy after his rookie year, or did you think that, um, you know, once he got injured – you know, and he came back, that that was just the kind of the player he was. Yeah, I just didn't think that he would get back up to speed um, to the player that he once was. Um, and he's he's burning me right now. <laughs> We're happy about that. What about you, Evan? What's what's your, uh, what'd you get wrong? You know whose name we didn't say a single time on Sunday? To any guesses? Any guesses from the crowd? Jermaine? I have to think about it every single time I say it. Ifetti. Ifetti. Yeah. No I. No I. No as in I as in this I. Jermaine Ifetti. Jermaine Ifetti. Jermaine Ifetti. Good Lord. I don't know why I struggle with that so much. Um, he's been impressive. And you know what? I got to give it to him for another week in a row. He's not a guy that we're screaming his name every other play with a false start or a holding because he, he's getting beaten so bad. Russell Wilson had all day to throw on Sunday. And Jermaine had a big part to do with that. I, I know this is my second in a, in a week in a row highlighting him, but, you know, I'm blocked by him on Twitter. I've been lighting into him for, like, three years now. I'm eating poop. And, you know, it, it just is what it is. Like, I'm just speaking the truth. It, it, he's good. <laughs> he's good. Jermaine is a good right tackle. And you know what? Maybe maybe it's because of Mike Solari, but here's my face, and there's a bunch of poop right here. Yikes. Thanks, Jermaine. Thanks. That's what you tune in for, folks. Uh, <laughs> scatological humor. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Fetty's playing better. Um, certainly, you know, he, he's doing well. I'll, I'll take the guy right next to him. I will tell you, like, I do not believe I would have ever expected pretty much any Seahawks lineman to pancake and Dominican Sue and Damon Harrison 
ever, let alone within the span of a few games. And Fluker is he is the man like i think that he he's getting a lot of recognition which is good i don't think he's even getting enough yet i think he is such a key one of the one of the like seminal moments for me and where i really got excited about this team was right after the rams loss like and evan knows it i i was like i was driving evan crazy because he was so mad that the, the team lost and i was just relentlessly positive it was very funny we switched positions but um listening to DJ Fluker get interviewed after that game and how he talked about that not intimidated by anybody and that they don't like to be, they want to brush the passer. They don't want to get hit. There was such a, it was not a defensive or like a sore loser kind of comment. It was just based on pure confidence and like just badass. Like he's just a badass. And I think that that's permeating the team and the way they play and I love watching it. I, I did not expect that he would bring I, I knew he'd be powerful. I knew he'd, you know, do some, you know, be helpful. But he's he's arguably one of the best guards in football right now. And uh that's fun. Like we have not had a really good guard since probably Steve Hutchinson. Unless you really consider James Carpenter to be a really good guard. I, I don't. J.R. Sweezy, when he was here, I don't think was a really good guard. Like, they were okay. Um, I think Fluker is is playing great. And I think Sweezy, you know, he's he's doing his part as well. So um, that's that's the one that's, that's sticking out to me. Um, I was also dead wrong about the way that they were going to do running back carries. I was certain that they were going to start giving Rashad Penny more carries after they let him finish the Oakland game. Um, and he did pretty well in that game. Um, I just thought they'd use that as, as an excuse to start splitting reps again with Chris Carson. So I was really happy to be wrong about that. Um, all right, fellas, uh, wrapping up here. Um, any closing thoughts you've got or topics you want to bring up before we uh, bring this baby to a close? The Seahawks are going 3-0 and over the next three weeks. Wow. And in three weeks, the Seahawks will be 7-3. and Good math, Evan. I was like, quick. I know, I know. I'm a, I was a math major. I'm just kidding. I wasn't a math major. But we are going seven and three. I'm serious. I'm gonna take uh, Will. How about you? Listen, I'm gonna go two and two over the next four, and I'll be pretty damn happy if we're able to split. And we play some. I mean, four of the best teams in football over the next four weeks, and if we can win half of those, I'm gonna be. I'll be satisfied. You know what, Will? Those teams play one of the best teams in football. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna the find Seattle out Seahawks. Because you know what? We are a good football team, and we're disrespected, and we're underrated, and we're the underdog, and I love it. I will tell you the toughest game in that stretch at Carolina. Agreed. I agree with you. Totally agree. So, guys, um, quick predictions before we go. What do you see for this weekend? 30-13 Seahawks. Wow. We're putting up points, man. <laughs> and we got, Will? A, we got a high-tech offense. Will, where are you at? I'm going to go 21-17 Seattle. Okay. Kelsey? 30-21. Um, Seahawks. 
All right. Yeah, Got to right. clarify that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm a. Uh, I'm seeing like a twenty. Twenty-four seventeen kind of game. Um, Seahawks. Seahawks come out on top there. I think. Uh, I think the Seahawks are going to have trouble slowing down the the Chargers' offense, but I think. One of the things that people maybe don't realize about the Chargers is that their run defense, not so good. Um, everyone knows that Justin Coleman has trouble with tackles, a lot of missed tackles for the Seahawks, right? We've talked about that. Well, he's got six missed tackles on the season, which is a lot. The Chargers have a linebacker, Denzel Perryman, who's got nine missed tackles. They've got um, uh, Derwin James, who's got seven missed tackles. They've got Desmond King cornerback who's got seven missed tackles they've got Jaleel Adai another safety who's got six missed tackles so this is a team that um they're gonna be going up against one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL and Chris Carson and and this offensive line um I think there's an opportunity for the Seahawks to really run the ball and control the clock again and there's I'm telling you the guy to watch out for is going to be David Moore in this game if they get David Moore one-on-one with Trevor Williams, cornerback for the Chargers. Watch out. Trevor Williams is, has thrown been thrown at 29 times this season. 22 of those have been caught, um, three of them for touchdowns. So he's given up 132 passer rating on the year. So give me David Moore against their 5'10 corners all day, every day. I'd like to see seven targets for David Moore and, a, and a, another couple touchdowns. So – uh, guys, I am so psyched. I could be talking about the Seahawks from now until Sunday, and I probably will be. But uh, thank you. Let's uh, let's call it a night and uh, go Hawks.